I invite you to remain standing this morning for the reading of Scripture. It comes to us from the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, verses 1 through 11. The words will obviously be up on the screen behind me. I invite you to, to hear and to read these words, uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us. May God truly add his blessing to this, the reading of his word. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. First service, I forgot several passages in that reading. thought, boy, I got to do a better job of reading. So I'm glad we got to share this time at 11 o'clock and get, I got a second chance at reading the scripture. That's pretty great. Uh, my mom and dad and little sister uh, and grandma all lived together uh, for most of my growing up years. And so living with grandma, well, that opened up a whole lot of extra doors and possibilities uh, namely, child care. That was a pretty good one for my mom and dad. See, both of them could work really great jobs, and in doing so, they used that extra income to put my sister and I into a Christian school. And so from fifth grade to 10th grade, I attended a Keswick Christian School in Seminole, Florida. And every week, we would, uh, we would be having this chapel service, and they would line us up in our lines, and we would walk in, and we would sit, and the teacher would be looking to make sure I was behaving and not jumping out of lines. I know that's shocking for you already that they would be looking at me that way. Um, but we would come in, and I would do my dead level best to pay attention. I would try so hard. And there were, some day, there were some days where it worked, and there were a lot of days where not so much. And, and what I would do when I couldn't pay attention, when the speaker droned on and on and on, I would stare at the back of the auditorium. There were these three words that were written up there that I could look at, I could focus on. And the words were this, life, dot, 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 more abundantly, John 10, 10. Do you know that there are 31,102 verses in our English Bible? 23,145 are in what we call the Old Testament. 7,957 are in what we call the New Testament. Aren't you impressed? 
those 31,000 plus verses, it was those three little words from that one little verse that would end up changing my life. I didn't realize it at the time, but those words, they were being etched into my soul. They become part of who I am. They become a life verse. Of the 31,000 verses in our scriptures, it was this verse that would become a rock for me, something I could cling to when the, the waves were crashing and the wind was blowing. I'm gonna like, I'd like to share with you this morning the story of those words uh, from the context. See, Jesus has been teaching for nearly three years. He's been all over the place doing a lot of amazing things. People were watching and they were waiting and they were expecting. See, they were hoping something is going to come and change the world. And that hope was directed in the direction of Jesus. They were hoping he was the one. He was the something. But if you've read the Gospels, then you know wherever Jesus goes, well, controversy follows him. He talks with this authority and with this power, and he claims a special relationship with God, calls him Father. And as a result, he's constantly at odds with the religious experts of his day. It's Sabbath day, and Jesus sees this, this blind man stumbling down the road. Now, the disciples, see, they ask a really dumb question, if you ask me. They see this guy, and See, they think that someone somewhere at some point had sinned to have caused this man to be, to be blind. So they asked Jesus, well, was it him or was it his parents? Something must have occurred to make this man blind. See, they've been taught that that was how God works. Sin is bad. God only likes those who don't sin. God has to punish sin. This man is blind because of someone's sin. That was their understanding of how God worked, God's MO. Now, I have to tell you, it's not written in the scriptures, but I can't believe that Jesus didn't hear that question and just didn't go, oh, y'all. Face palm right there. Jesus says to his overly sophisticated disciples, and anybody else who's listening, by the way, he says blindness, this blindness is not about sin, but instead it's about God's glory. What? What? And what follows is one of the grossest stories in all of Scripture. Jesus kneels down, spits in the dirt, makes his paste, and then puts it on the man's face, rubs it in his eyes. That is nasty in any culture. And then he tells the man, the blind man, go over there and rinse in the pool. Now, if that doesn't make you chuckle, read that again. He tells a blind man, go and find the pool. There is a sense of humor in this that I think we miss because we read it from way up here. Jesus says, go, wash. The man stumbles over, blind, finds the pool washes, rinses off, and what happens? He starts to see light, and then he starts to see shapes. Then he sees faces. The man can see. Now, did, I don't know if you know this. I didn't realize this, but prior to this event, prior to Jesus, there is no single event of healing from blindness in Scripture. In the story of God and the story of us, no healing of a blind man until Jesus comes along. So what do you think the crowds do? They go wild. They go crazy. This man has done something that nobody else has ever done. And because the crowds go nuts, 
And because there's this muddy, dripping, giddy man jumping up and down in the church foyer, the religious leaders got to get involved. After all, you know, blind people stay blind. It's part of that punishment for sin thing. And so what do they do? They grab him and they start questioning him. And they question his blindness and they question the healing. And then they bring mom and dad in and they question them a little bit. And then they bring him back and they question him some more. Who did this to you? And the man goes, uh, Jesus? And the religious leaders at this point, they go from confused, a little bit frustrated that he's dripping on their nice carpet. Now they're irritated. See, they don't like Jesus. Jesus is, is, is a guy that, that, that bugs them. He doesn't do it the way that they want him to do it. He must be a sinner because he's healed a sinner on the Sabbath. And the formerly blind guy says, listen, I don't know whether Jesus is a sinner or not. All I know is I was blind. Now I can see. He healed me. And since we all know that God doesn't listen to sinners, and since I can see, then that must mean God is with him. Now, it's at this point that the good, regular, 11 o'clock attending church folks just lose their mind. It was bad enough he's dripping on the carpet, but now this guy, this filthy, water-dripping sinner is teaching them the audacity. They were the ones who had God figured out, not this nobody. They were the ones that God liked. They had their sight. Uh, how dare this nothing try and teach them? They were not used to this. They are the folks charged with reminding people just how sinful they were. So, in, in anger, and because they felt justified to do this, do you know what they do to him? They kick him out. They kick him out of church. I've known some good people have been kicked out of church because they dripped mud on a foyer. I love what happens next in the passage. Jesus steps in. Isn't that just like Jesus? Jesus steps in. He's been waiting to jump in and to, to comfort and confront these, this, this situation. The religious police need a little talking to. John tells us that Jesus seeks the man out. Don't you love that? Don't you love that Jesus seeks this guy out? Jesus kneels down. Do you know who I am? The man responds, no, sir. Jesus says, do you believe in the one promised that would redeem the world? Who is he? And Jesus says, I am he. And the man, this muddy, dripping, formerly blind guy, drops to his knees and he worships. And Jesus says loud enough for everybody to hear, I'm bringing judgment with me. The blind will see and the so-called ones with sight will be exposed as truly blind people. Now, the pompous leaders, they hear Jesus' words at this point and, and they're shocked. They're uncomfortable. He's given them the kind of verbal finger poke to the chest. Instead of congratulating them on their religiosity, Jesus indicates that they are the ones under judgment. Jesus says, you claim to have all the answers to be able to see, but truthfully, you've just revealed your own blindness. Think it was quiet in that moment? These highly revered, perfectly right caretakers of God. Well, they're not used to this kind of treatment. 
But before they can respond, Jesus starts talking about sheep. Now, in seminary, we were taught about how to transition from section to section in a sermon. Jesus didn't take that class. Because he goes from you're blind to let's talk about sheep. He says if someone comes to get a sheep and they jump or they crawl underneath the fence instead of going through the gate, they're up to no good. The the one, though, who enters the gate has the right to be there. Now, all throughout Israel, there there are these little caves that are all on the mountainsides. And this is where shepherds would huddle their sheep. And, and for our contemporary ears, we hear gate and we think something on a hinge that swings back and forth, right? Well, in Jesus' day, a gate was a person, someone who would stand at the entrance, who would protect their sheep, who would keep any from wandering out and keep anything else from coming in. And what's Jesus say? Well, he says, I am the gate. And those who have come before me are nothing more than robbers and thieves. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, one who protects and cares for my sheep. I know all of them in my care. He lo- I look out for them and I have, oh, this is great, I have named them. Isn't that a great picture? It's one of the more breathtaking pictures we gloss over in the scripture. Jesus names his sheep. He says, others who have come before, they're pretenders. They're out for their own good, for their own self-righteousness. Who are these others? Well, in the context of the passage, the others are the religious leaders. It's the Pharisees. Jesus has gone from calling them blind to now calling them false teachers only interested in their own good, their own self-promotion. He says they don't care for the very sheep that have been given to them for protection. They're useless. They're stinking, dirty thieves. And the thieves, Jesus says, they come to steal and kill and destroy Jesus says, I've come to give something more. I've come to give life abundant or life to its fullest. The thieves pursue God or religion out of this self-interest. The thieves are interested in kicking out muddy sinners and want to teach their own version of who God is and what God is about, a version that says God looks and acts just like me, a God that says, ooh, you must have done something wrong. That's, That's your fault. God's judging you. This is a form of self and Oh, and by the way, God's judging you, and I'm here to remind you about that. This is a form of self-righteousness that I can't help but think as I read through the Gospels that just nauseates Jesus. And he responds to it very harshly. The thieves bring damage. Well, what kind of damage? Jesus uses three words that are really descriptive. The first is steal. The, the Greek word is klepto. It's where we get the English word kleptomaniac. Um, It's this ongoing pilfering where little bits are stolen day in and day out. It's the wearing away until nothing is left. The word for kill is thio. It's violent. It's like slaying or slaughter, but it's premeditated and it's vicious. The final word is apolomai, and it's complete annihilation, massive, epic, utter devastation and destruction. Think Hiroshima, Nagasaki. 
See, I think Jesus is indicating that this steal, kill, and destroy is what self-righteousness is doing to other people. That's what he's calling out these Pharisees on. It's, his, it's wickedness at its core. And I'm right at any kind of cost way of life. And this kind of damage isn't just happening at the, the hands of the Romans. They're easy to hate. They're easy to point the fingers at. Jesus is saying, no, it's those of us who have been trusted with the, the message of God. People entrusted to share God's love with others have turned into, I'm right, you're wrong. See, Scripture does still speak to us. It's, it's important to notice, too, that, that Jesus argued with the Pharisees a lot. Our, our scriptures hold that up. But his problem with them often wasn't with their theology, what they taught about God. It was how they lived that theology. It was their spirituality that was the problem. He didn't like the fact that they compartmentalized it. The Pharisees approached God and, and God thinking as a way to show how holy they were and how terrible everybody else was. Jesus comes up, and his goal is to show just how good God is for everyone. Stealing and killing and destroying. Y'all, this is what the enemy of our souls is after. There's rarely a week that goes by as a pastor that I don't see these three, if not, if not all of them, at least one, in their extreme. I've seen the pilfering of too many souls. Where little chunks are taken slowly and surely. I've been with folks whose lives have experienced slaughter. I've seen mass destruction to relationships and marriages and families. I've seen some pretty ridiculous actions from self-righteous religious folk. It's just baffling. I'd venture to guess... You've probably seen these things too. But, and I love it when a but comes in, I have also seen what the good shepherd brings. Jesus comes bringing abundant, full, overflowing life to those who hear his voice. Isn't abundant a great word? Rather than being pilfered, abundance has got excess. Rather than being slaughtered, abundance is about vibrancy. Rather than about destruction, Jesus' idea of life is about fullness. A life that gives joy and grace and mercy like it's free. Oh, wait. Now, Jesus isn't saying that life is going to be perfect and happy-go-lucky. We're going to tiptoe through the tulips, go from cloud to cloud, singing with our harps. No. That's what fourth grade little Jimmy thought when I was reading those words up on the, on the wall. No, no, the enemy is still trying to pilfer and slaughter and annihilate. There are times when the brokenness that is yet to be made right by Jesus deeply affects me. But Jesus is still giving life. He's still giving and offering abundant, overflowing, inexpressible, and yet completely viewable joy that flows from within our deepest being. He's still promising to guide us. He's still offering to give sight, to provide a way. And he's inviting you and I to see the world as he sees it, to step away from a form of religion and embrace this life abundant. Friends, this passage, its surrounding story, is an anchor for me. 
grounds me. It reminds me why I'm here, what I've been called to be about. Not worrying about your sin. I got my own to deal with. Not teaching or leading from my own agenda, trying to find his. Not shepherding for any other reason but to equip God's sheep to experience the love of our good shepherd, to pursue him and his holiness, and in the midst of all of that, to bring abundant life crashing wherever God's people find themselves. So here's my question for us today. Southern Hills, where are you in this story? Are you in need of a shepherd who gives life today? Have you been stumbling in the dark? Do you need light? Maybe your soul today, maybe your soul is, has been pilfered, or you've been annihilated, or you've experienced destruction, and you need to hear the good shepherd call your Do you need to know that, that there's a life abundant even in the midst of some pretty dark and rough stuff? Or maybe, and more difficult, maybe you're sitting here knowing full well that if someone came in here dripping with mud, you'd be the ones Jesus would call out. Are we on a list of blind guides who don't know that we're blind? Brothers and sisters, there's grace for us religiously trained uh, and right people too. The good shepherd is our savior as well. And he wants to offer us more than rules, rules that just offer this false security. He wants to offer us a real security, a life that's overflowing and full and a life that builds up and blesses. So that's what Life Abundant does. It can't help it. It gets out and it just blesses everybody around it, lifts up. And by the way, if you're hearing this, then that means you have been prepared to be one of these folks who gives Jesus' life abundance away. Yep, even you. If you're still here, God has life to give through you. Abundant, overflowing life through you to others because he has called you by name. 31,000 verses in these holy scriptures. Yet it's this one and these three words that continues to shape me. A passage that reminds me that my theology can be as good as gold, but if my motives, if my spirituality isn't about loving like Jesus did, then that good theology is ruined. It's a waste of time and space and words on a wall and a certificate somewhere. Because all it does is reveal my own blindness Instead, we get the opportunity to, to know that the Savior, the shepherd, calls us by name and invites us to go and live abundantly, to give it away. So this morning, you are invited to go from this place in the knowledge of the one who is your shepherd with the truth that he is offering you something more than pilfering and annihilation and destruction. He's offering you abundant joyful, full life, and you get to go and give it to somebody else. Let's pray. Gracious and good shepherd, thank you that you are still calling us by name. When we're muddy and dripping and we can't see past our own nose, you are still 
in the business of calling us, calling out, seeking us out. Thank you. But Lord, you're also in the business of once we've had sight of being released to go and to, to share that life abundant with those who are in need. And so, Lord, wherever we find ourselves this morning, wherever we find ourselves in this story, for those who are being pilfered and annihilated or experiencing destruction, Lord, I pray that you would call out names, bring healing and wholeness. For those of us, Lord, who are, well, we're just really intent about being right. Help us still to hear you call our names as well. Lord, don't let any of us leave this place today without knowing you as our good shepherd. Lord Jesus, we love you. We give you thanks and we honor you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you are going to do. We offer this prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.